Our priest is a dying man. The dying men, women, youth. And I will preach as though I will never preach again. So God, God has his reasons for why he saves us in stages. Sanctifies us slowly, makes us fill up every day at his pump. Lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where God's Word is truth and your questions matter. I am your host, Jonathan Romero, and today we're going to be starting to look into Paul's ministry. We're going to start looking into where Paul is, what Paul is doing, and why. Um, It's pretty interesting here in Colossians because it goes really close alongside with Ephesians. So you can both use Ephesians and Colossians to cross-reference each other. But I just love the way Paul uses his words here in Colossians. Um, So let's let's begin. Uh, Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, We're going to read verses 24 all the way to verse 29. So this is what the word of the Lord says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship of God, That was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toiled, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So, let's go back to verse 24, because that's what we're going to focus on uh, today in this episode. Um, There's just a lot in verse 24 that I can't just skip over briefly. Um, So I do want us to touch on verse 24 and and try to understand and try to put ourselves in Paul's shoes, right? Um, Because what he is suffering for, ultimately we will find out that we are to also suffer for, right? So let's go back to verse 24. Let me reread it. Verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. All right. So he begins with now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So after all that he said, what he said um, in chapter one, um, we're still in chapter one. But before verse 24, he just gave this thanksgiving and prayer. Right, he he greets the people at Colossae, and more specifically, he greets the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae, and then he gets into this thanksgiving and prayer, and then right after that, he speaks about Christ and His supremacy, 
right? His preeminence and how Christ is to be first place above all things um, and how Christ is reconciling all things to himself uh, through the blood of his cross. And then now we're in verse 24 where he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So the now there basically refers to present tense now, right? So now, basically meaning remember. Paul Paul is in prison, suffering, persecution right now. And he is saying, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Well, where is Paul at as he's writing Colossians? Well, he's in prison. He's imprisoned. And why is he in prison? Well, for preaching Christ and him crucified. Um, and he says... <clears throat> Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So that sounds really close to what James talks about when he talks about suffering or going through uh, the different trials, right? So let me just read this real quickly. It says in James chapter 1 verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, when you meet trials of various kinds, James says, you are to count it all joy. You are to be joyful that you are going through these trials. And that is hard. That is tough. But now, put yourself in Paul's shoes. Paul is in prison suffering, right? But why? He's suffering for the sake of the church. And that's what he says in the rest of verse 24. Um, But we must understand that we put it in application now. We are to rejoice in our sufferings, right? And he says, because of you, right? So now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So because of you, I rejoice in my sufferings. And who is the you? Again, uh, we're reading the letter of Paul to the Colossians. So, because of the Colossians, the, the believing ones there at Colossae, because of them, Paul is rejoicing in his sufferings. And then he continues and says, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So, Not only is Paul rejoicing in his sufferings uh, for the Colossians, but he also says, also because of you, Christians, I am completing my sufferings in Christ. And there Paul mentions, uh, for the sake of his body, that is the church. So, Christ's body equals the church. So, in 2 Corinthians 1.5, let's talk about this. Uh, suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It's not that Christ did not uh, suffer enough, that Paul has to complete it. That's not what Paul is saying. Instead, uh, we get better context in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. It says, For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, uh, this is 
basically an explanation why. The why of verse 5. This is what it says in verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Just remember that. Think of that. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So so there it is. We as Christians, we will suffer and we share in this suffering together. But if we suffer, know that Christ will bring comfort to us. But the purpose of this suffering, what is it? It is to strengthen our faith. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. It says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. To give context, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is warning the disciples, right? So we have to understand who is he speaking to. He's speaking to the disciples. And he says uh, that he's warning the disciples of persecution, but to not worry for the one who remains steadfast. They are the ones who will be saved. Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples to enter town to town to preach the good news. You see, the understanding of Matthew 10, 22 and its application is that the world hates those who preach Christ, but it is okay because we as Christians are to suffer for Christ's sake. We are to suffer and that is a good thing and that actually is a characteristic of a Christian is one who suffers for Christ's sake, right? No matter where we are, where we go, our message should not change. Our message should always be Christ and Him crucified, right? It should be the gospel. The gospel should be forefront because that is the power of God unto salvation and the reason why we are still here and God didn't take us right after we got saved is so that we continue preaching this good news because God has more of His sheep in this world. That is the purpose of the gospel. The gospel changes the hearts of wicked men and turns them to Christ for salvation of their souls and forgiveness of their sins. Right? So we must understand that we as Christians, we are to suffer for Christ's sake. And it's a good thing to suffer for Christ's sake. Because if Christ tells us that we will be persecuted for his sake, that we must believe and trust those words. We must believe that it will happen. And we are not to be um, caught by surprise when it happens or get angry when it happens. But the message here in Scripture we read, um, like in James, it says, rejoice in your sufferings, right? Or James says, count it all joy when, when you meet trials of various kinds. And here Paul is saying, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. You see, that is the difference between a Christian and a, an atheist or one who does not believe in Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, does not believe in God, um, or has other gods other than the true God. They cannot answer or they cannot respond with their sufferings with rejoicement or with joy. 
Only we can. And why is that? Because we know that the Lord is at work within us. The Lord is seeing that we may be sanctified, that we may grow in our faith so that we can endure, so that we can be comforted, as it says in 2 Corinthians 1.5, right? And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So, we are to suffer for Christ's sake. And not only that, through this suffering, we will see to it that Christ will bring comfort to us and Christ will bring us to completion, meaning what Christ has begun in us, it will be completed, right? And what is the purpose? It's to save us. And he did do it, right? On the cross, he said, it is finished. And that means he has come to do what he came to do. So that now all of us who put our faith in Christ, repenting of our sins, uh, will truly be saved. Now, because we're still in this world, we will continue to suffer because there's still wicked people in this world uh, that hate the message of the gospel. But we are commanded, we are called to preach this gospel because it's only this gospel that will change their hearts, will change their souls their destination at the final judgment, right? So, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, um, it gives us like a walkthrough of what is happening within a born-again believer, right? So, we are born-again to a living hope. But let me explain and let me show you uh, first, right? So first Peter chapter one, verse three, it says, blessed be the God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you 
through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So, that is what the Lord is doing. That's what the Lord has called us to, right? God has called us to be born again to this living hope. And why is it a living hope? It says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this living hope is in the living Lord. That's in whom we hope into. Because he rose from the grave, we will surely rise from the grave. Right? What do we read in the preeminence of Christ? That he was the firstborn of the dead, from the dead. And what does that mean? He is the first to rise from the dead to never die again. And we follow him in that. Because Christ suffered for our sake. He endured the wrath of God that was supposed to fall on us. We identify ourselves in Christ. Therefore, we have died in him. And we live in him because he rose on the third day. Right? So, listen to what it says. It says, to an inheritance. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And what, what that is talking about is that this inheritance that we are given is one that will never perish. Right? Think of an apple. And once you cut it open, it starts browning and getting nasty. Well, think of it as... Never browning, never getting nasty, never getting old. Undefiled, that means clean or pure. So think of this inheritance as one that is pure, that will never be unpure. And now unfading, that means one that does not lose its um, brightness per se. Right? So think of a diamond where it, when it shines and you're pointing it up to the sun but the sun is setting so that brightness of the diamond is actually dimming out to the point where once there is no sun that diamond is not going to shine anymore because now there is darkness and it's not like that with this inheritance this inheritance is unfading it will never lose its shine and it says, kept in heaven for you. Think about heaven and who is in heaven. That is God. God is in heaven and this is where your inher inheritance is hidden or kept in. And it says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Think about God and who he is, right? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the creator of the universe, and he is the one guarding our inheritance. What better person do you want to guard your inheritance than God himself, the creator of the universe? And it says, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So there it is. Rejoice, various trials. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. These various trials are 
a good thing for us. And why is that? So that the tested genuineness of your faith. So this is to show because your faith is genuine, you will eventually endure. And it says more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. We must understand the most precious metals of this earth is nothing compared to this inheritance that is kept in head hit kept in heaven for us. And it says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The purpose of all of this is for God's glory. And God will receive his glory in heaven, on earth, and below the earth. Every knee will bow. And what? They will proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, the purpose of this all of this that's happening right now is that God may receive his glory that is rightfully his. And it says, though, now, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you did not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Brothers and sisters, I say that we must be a rejoicing people. We must be content in everything, no matter what comes our way. It's going to be hard, yes. But we are commanded to be the most content people of this world. And why is that? Because we have Christ. Christ is everything. Right? That is the purpose of why Paul is suffering for the sake of the church. And in his flesh, he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. He's rejoicing in his sufferings, and we do that as well. We are called to do that as well. And why is that? Because we have what the world doesn't, and that is Christ. We have eternal life. And instead, we should call out to the world that they may repent from their sins, that they may turn to Christ for the salvation of their souls because the wrath of God is coming. We are to be alerting everyone of the coming judgment of God. And how do we do that? Through the proclamation of the gospel, letting them know that God had mercy on us. God has granted us grace through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and that shows us how much God actually loves his people, that he sent his only begotten son to die on our behalf. That is crazy to think about, but that should result in us praising God forever, right? And it says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So that is the outcome of our faith. That is the purpose of God strengthening our faith, is so that we may be saved at the end, or better put, so that we may endure to the end. Right? Because all of those whom the Father has given the Son, the Son will lose none. Right? We know that those whom God called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. And those who He glorified um, will are the ones in whom God has called in the first place. Right? So, we must understand all of us who have been justified, we've been called, we are the called ones, and those of us who are the called ones will eventually be glorified. Right? We are to be sanctified by the word of God, 
and through this sanctification, we will grow more into the knowledge of him. We will be uh, more like Christ. We are to suffer in this world as we preach Christ and him crucified. But we rejoice in that because at the end, or in the end, we will eventually be saved as God has promised from long ago. Because we were what? We were chosen in him before the foundations of the world. So we must rejoice in our sufferings as Paul is rejoicing in his sufferings. We must thank God uh, for the trials that has come in our lives. And why is that? Because that is when we know that God is closest to us. You see, God is working within us, conforming us more into the image of Christ. And that is done through trials. We aren't to get mad or grumpy uh, that something is not going our way as we wished it would have. But we are to rejoice in it. And why is that? So that we can eventually rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This rejoicement comes from the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit grants us uh, the ability uh, to be in self-control. But not only that, we have peace, love, joy. We have patience. That is a big one. We are to be patient in our sufferings. Because we must understand what God is doing within our sufferings. He's growing us. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't put us through trials. Or he wouldn't not put us through trials. Instead, because he loves us, he will put us through these trials so that we may grow. And it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, what is it? The salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, what does it say? It says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ, right? So the Holy Spirit is mentioned as the Spirit of Christ here. And it says, in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. You see, because we are made in God's image and Christ, when he entered this world, took on flesh, right? The word of God took on flesh. Now he can be our representative and die on our behalf. And he did. He died on the cross. He was persecuted. He was flogged. He was beaten. Got his beard pulled. They exchanged his clothes. He was put on the cross. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And he ascended into heaven and assumed his throne. You see, Christ assumed his throne that is rightfully his and what is now happening as he's on his throne? Well, let me read this to you. This will be the last passage that I will read. Because we must understand about this 
uh, about Christ and what he did. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testify that God has raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For the dead, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied, most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man, by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father and destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign, it says, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that it is expected to who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son, Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection to him, that God may be all in all. So you see, Christ is reigning now, and it says in verse 25, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Is death. That is what is happening now. The Lord is putting his enemies under his feet as we go on think about it every unbeliever every person who is not in Christ is what is an enemy of God now think about it when we preach the good news to those people who hate God who are God's enemies because they are lovers of the world we preach Christ to them they get convicted, they repent of their sins, they turn to Christ for the salvation of their souls. They are no longer enemies, but they are now friends of Christ, and not only that, sons of God. You see, that's one enemy put under his feet, because that man or woman is no longer an enemy of Christ, but now a friend, now a son of God, through the preaching of the gospel, through their repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Christ. And as the gospel is being preached around the world, more and more people will come to Christ and more and more enemies will be put under his feet. So, preach the gospel. Rejoice in your sufferings because we are called to. And just know that the Lord is at work when that happens. And we will rejoice with inexpressible expressions. This is 
Follow Me to Heaven with Jonathan Romero. (laughs) 